One year, I kind of got an idea, you know, I want to try trap. I like to trap, I like to make lure, and I like to write. Where can it go from here? I would be able to spend more time in the woods. I was losing money hand over fish trapping, but I didn't care. Getting the traps out there is the hardest part, I think, with them. I would leave the critters in the back of my truck in the high school parking lot. We're going to set traps, like, no matter what. Some of these guys have trapped these areas for generations. We got through the furball. This is Northern Michigan. This is what you do. Representing trappers in a positive light. I'm going to ask you guys a question. Do you know everything? This will be fun. Trying to learn something from these legends. Ask questions without asking questions. Volumes of Purpose and Game magazine. There's structure from Perigo Gorman. Perg Lennon's articles, the Perg Lennon's ads. Two information, trapping radios. We are trappers on ourselves. To me, that's pretty important. All right, everybody listening to me? Develop a system yet because we're working ahead of time to build big trapping. If you got very much the same as the you got bogged down. They started talking about these big fans. Most of my tunes are coming from up top, not down bottom. Probably the best part of the country in the world. I don't know, get them better. Trying to set predator traps and trash waders. The back of that beaver looks like it gets sheared. You better edit this part out. Yeah, it was better. Back in the first shed, this is the Trapping Today podcast. I'm Jeremiah Wood. Great to have you here. Thanks for tuning in. The podcast is brought to you by Cots Brothers Lures, K-A-A-T-Z-B-R-O-S.com. Trap smarter, work harder, enjoy the success that follows. Cots Bros has a full line of trapping supplies to get you started. Great service, great prices, awesome guys to deal with, huge supporters of the podcast. We're also brought to you by Fur Harvesters Auction, where the world comes to buy wild fur. An auction house run by Trappers for Trappers, the last remaining wild fur auction house in the, the United States and North America and I think in the world. So check out furharvesters.com for more details. Huge auction coming in about uh, 10 days from the time you listen to this. Stay tuned. Uh, there's a lot of uncertainties in the fur market and uh, we need to uh, figure out what's going on here uh, moving forward. We're also brought to you by OnX Maps. OnX is an app that allows you to turn your phone into a fully functioning GPS with tracking, waypoints, uh, base aerial base maps, and most importantly for some people, landowner information. You get all the parcel data. Um, in most states, you can see exactly where you're at and whose land you are on. You get the name and information. You see the parcel. So if you have permission to trap on a certain piece of land from a certain landowner, uh, this is an app that is absolutely crucial. It allows you to stay in the right spot and stay on the land you're supposed to be on. It also is an awesome scouting tool. You can use the aerial imagery to uh, to find uh, beaver flowages, find habitat for different fur bears, and you can also figure out what the parcels are in many places. And you can use that information to go out and ask permission uh, for to get some pick up some trapping ground. So go to onxmaps.com to learn more. And your first year subscription, your first purchase on the website, you can use the promo code TRAP. When you check out, uh, you'll have the opportunity to type in a promotional code TRAP. That will save you 20% off of the price, the purchase price, which it's about. Last I paid for one, it was about 30 bucks a year. So you're going to save uh, about 6 bucks uh, just by typing in trap. 
and uh, kicks a few bucks over to Trapping Today and helps you support the podcast. So thanks very much, much uh, Onyx Maps, and guys, check that out. If you're not using this app, you really need to. You're missing out on something. Um, also, I got a few emails from guys who uh, who actually uh, already use the app and are glad to hear it uh, hear it being talked about now because it is a really great resource. Okay, in tonight's episode, we have an update, kind of an update on the fur market. I am recording this a few days before it's going to air, so uh, I'm going to be in the woods for the next four days. So I'm trying to get this up so it'll it'll post up while I'm gone, and you guys won't have any uh, any days of interruption from your normal podcasting schedule for those of you that listen every week at the same time. Um, but I I this kind of came out just recently, and so I wanted to I wanted to get it out there, and by the just a quick, just a little word of caution. Things may have changed by the time you listen to this, because right now things are changing from day to day with the the stock markets, the commodities, oil markets, the coronavirus, and the fur market. Everything's kind of up in the air right now. So in just the past few days since I recorded last week's episode, we've had the coronavirus kind of explode in the United States. Worldwide, it's now considered a pandemic by the World Health Organization. Um, it is it is one of those things that overall deaths, it's not really uh, a big, you know, compared to a lot of other causes of death, it, it's almost a drop in the bucket. But at the same time, there is so much fear surrounding this thing spreading uh, much to, to grow to a much larger thing that it is right now that fear is what drives markets you know fear fear and greed are the two things that drive markets uh, one of the pieces of advice from Warren Buffett who is one of the richest people in the world and has been incredibly successful he's close to 90 years old and he uh, he is a very successful investor one of his big pieces of advice is to be fearful when others are greedy and be greedy when others are fearful. What that means is uh, it, it's a kind of a, a an overall statement about the how the markets work. In, in any economy, markets are driven by emotion because people are, uh, are the ones that are making these decisions. People's emotions are swung back and forth between fear and greed. Uh, the stock market was filled with the greed emotion for the past, at least the past year, where the Dow Jones Industrial Average is, has been uh, sky high. It's it's breaking breaking new records, all time highs, almost thirty thousand from you know lows of six to eight thousand back in two thousand and eight, two thousand nine when we had the last crash, and everybody felt that there could. That, there could be no wrong in the markets and things just continued to go up and up and up. And over the course of 10 years, uh, a whole new uh, group of investors have entered the market that don't have uh, an understanding of the history of the last crash. And so uh, there's a feeling of everything is great and we're all making money. And uh, that's when one needs to be fearful. On the other hand, all of a sudden things changed on a dime overnight we had news of the coronavirus outbreak, um, and every single day it seemed to get worse and worse. 
We also had a recent uh, issue with oil. Um, the OPEC, the biggest oil producing nations in the world, are uh, their group uh, that comes together and decides how much each nation is going to produce in order to uh, maintain price, uh, acceptable prices for oil. And so if OPEC nations produce less oil, the price tends to go up. And so they make more money on every barrel that of oil that they export. And if they uh, flood the market and produce more oil, then the price tends to go down, uh, as you would guess with typical supply and demand issues. Uh, the last meeting of OPEC, which was a couple weeks ago, the major countries could not come to an agreement, particularly, I believe it was Saudi Arabia and Russia could not agree on supply cuts, and so they had a falling out and decided that, uh, I think Saudi Arabia responded to Russia's lack of desire to um, to cut their oil production by saying, fine, you guys don't want to... You, you don't want to join in and cut production, we'll flood the market and drive prices down to almost nothing. And Russia said, fine, we'll do the same. And so these countries are, are right now announcing huge increases in the supply of oil that they are going to get out in the next uh, several months. And at the same time, Vladimir Putin, the leader of Russia, has uh, stated publicly that U.S. shale producers uh, uh, of oil and you know domestic production here in the United States, the U.S. shale producers need to pay, and uh, he basically wants to put them out of business. So the almost overnight this past weekend, um, oil prices dropped by 25%, and they have continued to drop through early in the week, and so uh, oil prices are are at a, the lowest they've been in at least five or six years. And even when they when they dipped this low last time, they, they did not remain this low for a very long time. Um, but with, with more increases in supply that are being announced, it seems like every day other nations are announcing they're going to increase their supply. Um, we haven't seen the worst of this. And so uh, this means a couple of different things. Number one, uh, the United States oil producers have a higher cost of production than, than Russia and Saudi Arabia. So uh, they're going to suffer, and likely, if nothing changes, they are going. a lot of them are going to go out of business and stop producing oil. Um, so we're going to be importing a lot of our oil. What it also means is that countries like Saudi Arabia and Russia, remember Russia is a country that buys a large amount of the fur that uh, we produce here in in the United States as wild fur producers. And Russia's economy is very dependent on the price of oil and their their oil um, revenues. So it, it appears that Russia is less concerned about the economic well-being of people there and they're more concerned about punishing the United States shale oil producers uh, because they're going to drive this oil price as low as they can get it. Um, I think the hope is that long term, the U.S. producers who are have been taking a, a greater and greater share of the market, 
because of this big shale oil boom in the western United States. Uh, the hope among other countries in the world is that the low prices will force uh, U.S. shale producers to go out of business and then they can jack the prices back up. Um, but that's something that will take uh, years to accomplish if, if indeed it can be accomplished. And I don't know as, as our political leaders in the United States are going to allow that to happen. But that is not directly related to trapping, so I won't go into more detail except to say that the two big things here, the coronavirus and the oil prices, uh, are are two two huge, huge issues that have just come up in the past several days, and the stock market has been tanking. Uh, it is it, it seems to be going lower every day. It'll bounce a little up just a little bit and drop back down. And so the market is in really, really difficult shape right now. All of these things affect the price for wild fur. And so even as of the things that I said in last week's podcast, as of last week, uh, situation has already changed so much. Uh, that uh, I don't know how accurate um, anybody's predictions were as of just a week ago. So I believe what I said was that, yes, we're in a low in the fur market, but I think we may possibly be pleasantly surprised by the results of the uh, fur harvesters auction coming up. That is still a possibility, uh, but it's looking less and less likely. As information changes, we have to change um, our outlook, and I think that uh, the the main issue here is it you know oil plays a part in it for sure. Uh, that's more of a longer term issue, but the immediate issue is the coronavirus. And China has uh, really clamped down on its uh, it, the people in the country. They've they've had these mass quarantines. Um, People haven't been going to work. People haven't been producing things. It is interrupting supply chains throughout the world because a lot of stuff is produced in China. Uh, China also uses a lot of raw materials. China uses a lot of raw fur and makes it into fur coats and other items that are sold to people in other countries. There is a potential here that these quarantines are going to um, the quarantines and the related fallout from that is going to cause a huge disruption in the wild fur market in the short term. I think there's potential that buyers are not going to be able to get fur into China. So if that is the case, which we I don't know as we've heard you know either way whether that's uh, a reality, but indications are that maybe that's where we may be headed and if they don't allow any fur into China uh, we're going to have a hard time selling our fur and so the big thing that I just saw today was uh, Grunwald Fur and Wool Company just made this big announcement as of March 11 which is the day that I'm recording this all USA routes are suspended unfortunately and Grunwald again remember is, is uh, probably the biggest pro- one of the biggest private buyers of wild fur in the United States, if not the biggest. They say, unfortunately, due to the unprecedented conditions in the wild fur industry, we will only be accepting raw coyote and beaver 
at our Forreston facility. All you that's that's where their main base is. But again, Grunwald typically runs routes all throughout the country. All United States routes are suspended at this time. Canadian depots remain as scheduled. When the situation improves, we will consider rescheduling the suspended routes. So they're not they're not driving around taking any fur right now. This is a big deal. Um, without getting into too much detail, I I did uh, text with Kyle Cotts from Cotts Brothers Lures. He has a good handle on the pulse of the fur market, and um, you know there's there's a lot of potential downside right now. Uh, let's just let's just put it that way. So basically, from from the time you hear this, you're gonna if you listen right off, you're gonna be about 10 days out from the fur harvesters auction. Um, and I don't know as anybody knows what's going to go on in this auction. I think this is, you know, for a long time we've been saying, well, this is going to set the, the market for wild fur. Uh, Mark Downey has said that. I've, I've agreed with him on that. And, um, you know, this is the first major auction where there's a bunch of buyers and a bunch of fur available and people competing for fur and we'll really know how things shake out and what the market's doing. Because of these disruptions, these potential disruptions, I'm not sure that we're going to have a true um, real free market situation here. Now, there are some reasons to maybe be a little bit optimistic. Number one, fur harvesters has a full, fully functioning remote bidding uh, where buyers can stay, remain right in China, and they can bid from China on on wild fur for that auction. So, in theory, nobody even needs to show up um, at 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 the uh, the location in Toronto um, to bid on fur. That, that doesn't need to happen. So that's that's not going to uh, theoretically that would not affect uh, buying fur. There there has been you know FHA they want to get this fur sold and they want to get as many buyers in as possible. And they're working to do that. My understanding is that they have the ability to uh, provide some incentives for buyers, including lowering the um, commission rates. And the biggest thing, in my opinion, uh, holding on, agreeing to hold on to fur for a set amount of time. um, So that, in the event that there are issues with importing fur into China, uh, there there will be time for these fur buyers in China to sort that out. And so this all kind of remains to be seen. There there's just there's no real solid information about what's going on because I don't know as anybody knows for sure exactly what's going on and what's going to happen over the next several days and several weeks. Um, my thoughts. My advice, uh, remember that second part of Warren Buffett's statement, be greedy when others are fearful. When the market goes down like this, I mean, if if, if you're a risk-taking type of person, this might be an excellent opportunity to get your fur buyer's license and go out and start picking up some cheap raccoon and muskrat and beaver and putting them in freezers. Um, when everybody's panicking, it's likely that the downside is lower than it really should be based on all of the economic uh, indicators and all the, the the situation, the supply and demand, and and what actually what the market actually should look like in a rational situation. Uh, 
people just um, make decisions based on on fear and emotion. So I think this is an opportunity for somebody to make a whole heck of a lot of money because we may see some very low fur prices moving forward, but we we also may see some uh, pretty substantial recovery in the next couple of years. This coronavirus thing is temporary. We know that because China, um, their first cases were just a few weeks ago, and they already appear to have it mostly contained. Um, the just the the most recent update I saw was China announced like ten new cases in the last day, and so they they put these strict quarantines in place. They shut everything down, and it appears to have been successful in um, stopping the virus from f- further spreading. At some point, this is going to um, other countries are going to figure this out, um, come up with practical quarantine measures and get this uh, get this thing taken care of and figured out slowed down uh, and then of course within the year we should have a, a vaccine based on uh, most people's uh, opinions that are in the industry uh, there should be a vaccine ready for this and uh, then it'll be something that's considered maybe not much different than the regular flu there's going to be a, a disruption in markets all across the world for all different items, and wild fur is no exception. However, we are this is a temporary situation. We are going to recover from it. And remember, there's only a limited amount of wild fur out there. The economics of the ranch fur industry have not changed. The supply in the ranch fur industry hasn't changed. It's been the huge glut of ranch mink in in the markets that is going to dry up in the next year or two and it's taken a little longer than we expected because of all these other things going on economically however at some point that's going to dry up and it's going to be a few years before ranchers uh, start revamping uh, their supply and, and raising more animals and they're only going to do that when prices recover a wild fur is a limited commodity, um, a very limited supply, and it's at a very low supply right now. When the demand comes back, there's not going to be as much fur out there available on the market as there was in the past. So I think the future is still bright for wild fur. Um, and and that's not a popular view. Most people don't agree with that. Because most people think based on emotions, most people think based on what has just happened, not what is going to happen. Um, and I don't say that. I don't say that to be condescending. I don't say that to to act like I know any more than anybody else. I don't. Um, but I just look at the facts that everybody else has access to, and I maybe see things a little bit differently. Um, I think I think we're still headed for better fur prices in the next couple of years. This this these two big punches of the oil prices and the coronavirus have just kind of delayed things by 6 to 12 months perhaps um, but but we see this everywhere we see this you know I'm in the beef cattle industry a little bit and we see this with cattle um, you know supply and demand and cycles with any commodity um, you're, you're going to see those ups and downs and, and everybody the producers are all uh, reacting on what has happened in the past and, and very few of them 
are proactive thinking about the future, but those few are the ones that are the most successful and they're the ones that stay in business uh, when things are low. Those are the guys that um, that boost their supply, uh, that are buying into markets when prices are low and are there to sell when prices are high and there's all kinds of people trying to get in. So just keep that in mind. I don't know, most of you probably that's not going to affect you. Um, those of you who have fur in the fur harvesters auction, I wish you luck. You know, I've got quite a bit of fur in there. Um, not, you know, not a lot compared to a lot of other guys, but I've I've got probably half of the value of the fur that I've I've trapped this year isn't going to be in that auction. So um, we'll we'll see how that goes, and uh, I'm still hopeful. I'm still hopeful that we're going to see some good prices, particularly for for coyotes. Um, maybe some bobcat. Um, the rest of them, it, it's going to be a toss-up. We're just going to have to see what happens. I would not be surprised if a lot of the fur, if if things get out of hand with this coronavirus and the Chinese buyers just are not showing up or are not participating, um, there, there probably will be a lot of fur that's not sold. And so, you know, I, I don't think FHA is going to give fur away. I, I don't think they are have ever been in the habit of doing that. Um, they're trappers and they're looking out for our best interest. So um, at, at the worst case scenario, we're probably going to see things get held over. And in this case, that might be a good thing. Um, I've, I've always been a proponent of, oh, let's, you know, let's just get the pain over with and let the market, you know, do what the market does and then come back from it. Um, that's why I think corrections in the stock market, for instance, are a good thing because they are necessary, in my opinion, for it. Uh, to maintain a healthy market when things go up and up and up and up and they threaten to go down just a little bit and the federal reserve cuts interest rates and the government provides stimulus and pr- prints money and does everything to try to keep the market from going down i think you're further inflating a bubble that's going to burst at some point so pain is okay because pain is necessary in markets that being said because this is such a temporary situation temporary in nature due to the this manic craziness that's brought on by the coronavirus, I, I think that it would be a good thing to pause, hit the pause button a little bit and just let things play out, let the panic and fear subside a little bit and then get back to business as usual. So worst case scenario, I think that's what happens. But stay tuned. I'll update you if there's anything else that comes up. Um, I'm not... Not any more of an expert than anyone else um, in the in this fur market, but um, I I just uh, hope that that provides you a little bit more information on where we're at moving forward. All right, that was the fur market update. So now I want to get into back into Alaska trapping. Um, this is a little piece of an interview. It's a a short uh, portion of. Jim and I at the cabin in the bush of Alaska from a couple weeks ago, and we were just talking, um, we recorded this short segment just talking about snaring uh, there in Alaska, thoughts, Jim's thoughts, my thoughts, my reaction to the, um, you know, snaring overall, because for me, I, I can't snare on land here in Maine, so it was a completely new learning experience for me to set up those snares for links. And we also talk about wolf snaring and wolf trapping a little bit and uh, fur bear populations. So hope you enjoy this. There's a couple more segments like this that are coming up. 
And then I had an awesome conversation with a trapper from Minnesota uh, just the other day. Uh, that was great, and I look forward to sharing that with you as well um, in the coming episodes. So lots more to come. Um, I just set up a couple beaver lodges under ice snaring here today, this morning, and a couple more to set up in in the coming days, and and lots to um, lots. I'm sure there'll be lots to talk about there as well. So all kinds of topics to get into. Thanks for tuning in. Glad to have you guys here as always, and uh, and hope you enjoy this. Traps versus snares, what are your thoughts? I really like snares. Traps are good, too. Um, snares, when you catch them, they die really quick, so they're usually frozen, and they're frozen solid. So you got to thaw them out. Sometimes they're in a weird configuration. <laughs> so a thawed-out link doesn't take up much room in your sled, but a frozen one can. And then you have to worry more about them rubbing because they're stiff. But if I didn't use snares, I think some years I get 70% of them in, in uh, snares. Really? Yeah, I'll write down what I catch them in. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I usually if I set a trap, I put at least one or two, maybe four snares, depending on the area yeah. around it. And a lot of link will come around. They'll smell the lure or the bait. And they'll walk around. You'll get them to snare. And they won't, yeah, they won't commit. Like the one I saw back here by this little lake yeah. of a track. Yeah, um, he's... I got to go check. I want to check that tomorrow. Because <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I, re I remade that Well, track. that guy, that guy's pretty wised up. He's walking by a lot of sets. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I call them guys breeders because they're hard to catch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he walked up, he walked up to the trap. Or he walked right by the trap and he kind of made one paw, one paw print maybe a foot away from the trap just kind of like he faced towards the because he smelled the lure yeah and then he turned and kept going and then he also either coming or going he walked around one of the snares yeah 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 sometimes they're just hard to catch i told you I, one winter i had two that were really difficult to catch and they were big guys and when I got him in a trap, when I got in a trap, man, he acted like he's mad at me. <laughs> but he was a big one, and, and uh, he would just plow the brush around. He'd go, walk right around the stairs, just plow. I've, sometimes they'll jump over snares. Really? Yeah. What What is this? I don't so, know what makes them jump, but you'll see their tracks on one side, and then they land on the other. This one got his hit a front leg and neck he got a yeah he got his front leg in the snare so did he was he like reaching with one paw while he was pushing his head through that snare it might not have been centered you know there might have been i'm thinking he was off center maybe one of the guide sticks fell down or something and he got his but he did get his head through there yeah i don't know not a very big loop compared to the size of his head really when you i usually make him about eight inch diameter so and you like you like to block them pretty good. I do. Some guys leave a gap there. Yeah. Sometimes you can just set them with no nothing, but you're kind of taking a chance. You yeah. can just set them set them out in their trail in the open. Uh, kind of like a blind set, you know. I think but I don't do that very often. It's kind of like the when I talked with Ron Jones, the guy from New Jersey, it does a bunch of he does a bunch of snaring and. All kinds of, you know, different trapping, but 
he talks about that 80 20 rule and mm. you know 80 percent of the 80 <laughs> percent of them are the dumb ones and 20 percent might be those breeders yeah um, and and uh well like there's a couple of different ways to think about it you could think well i just want to catch the I don't know how he puts it. He's, well, I'm just a trapper. I don't care about the 20%. I'm going to catch the 80%, spend my time on those. And then the other argument is, well, if I make my set a little better, that that's where it catches 100% of the link, of the animals, then I get the 80% and the 20%. Yeah. Those guys, that, the ones that walk around and walk by your sets, and I've had them step right by the trap and snip the if you keep trying you'll get them and, and i sometimes i don't know what made them slip up yeah you know but they'll get in a trap or a snare yeah and and a lot of times you probably don't like if you set so many traps you you might make a few adjustments but you may not remember what it, did i put an yeah. extra block stick yeah. on this trap um and then when you catch them of course that's destroyed the, all your setup yeah is gone. yeah there was one winter when they were worth quite a bit of money back in the 1980s and and uh my wife and i were staying out in the trap one and our kids and i'd get home and i couldn't they wouldn't go to the sets they'd walk up to them. and i was covering my traps like i would a fox trap were you yeah because they're worth a lot of money and they'd walk and there weren't there was a lot of guys trapping too covering with snow yeah uh and i'd tell my wife i'm catching fox in these link sets but i'm not catching the link and usually you don't catch that many you do but not that many but because i was covering them up hmm. and just trying to hide them but eventually i'd catch them but i don't know why that would trip them up you know sometimes i set trail sets for them blind sets hmm. sometimes you can just put it right in their footprint yeah and cover it you'll get them they're walking around the same place a lot i don't do too much of that unless they're you know like I've had one time I had a cannibal link and it was walking in and out. Every time I'd catch a link, he had a little trail going in there, and that's how I got him. You know, I just <laughs> put it in his footprint. Huh. But I had three traps set there, and when I got him, he had three, three traps on him. He started jumping around and got in the other two. Yeah, he looked pretty hopeless. I think it was actually a she. It was a female. Yeah. Yeah, she ate about two link that I'd caught in the snares. Glad I got her. I figured she'd hang around forever eating link. Yeah, almost they're, like they're a, kind of cannibalistic. Like a wolverine. Yeah, will follow yeah, in your line. Yeah. What do you think about them? Uh, as far as the you know, are wolverine? they easy to catch? Are they wolverine hard to catch? Easy to catch population wise? Uh, uh, some of them are easy to catch, but some of them are really difficult. They've probably been caught before. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I probably should use more conibears. <laughs> we did. It. We we set one today. Yeah. Yeah. This, that was something pretty cool. Um, the first time I've ever set a three thirty on the ground, and I wasn't breaking any laws. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I, we could do a whole podcast episode on this, and I don't want to. I, I don't want to say uh, get into it too much. Um, as I'm recording this most recent podcast that came out was uh, I, I talked to a guy from Massachusetts, Massachusetts trapper, and he was just, uh, man, what a what an enthusiastic 
guy and a dedicated guy to be trapping in a state where you can almost camp trap. Yeah, I don't think I want to trap there. <laughs> well, I'm kind of thinking I, after a few days here, I don't know if I want to trap in Maine anymore. <laughs> this is, every single set I made would have been illegal in Maine the last two days. Wow. I can't think of a single legal set um, the last two days. It, but it, it, it's not it's not just that it's uh you don't have to think about it like you can focus on trapping yeah you can you can look at this situation and does this call for a snare a foothold you know where should i set it here what should i do and and you can just like you have every option at the table you know you, yeah you know, in this one particular spot uh you had had a wolverine that had been hanging around there i believe oh today where we put yeah that. he ate a link there last time i checked it yeah and so you know it it was a spot where jim thought that this would be a good place to put a 330 yeah and so we set up we set a wooden box and and uh put a piece of a link leg in the back of it and put a 330 now of course understandable you can't do that in other places where you got people and dogs around and stuff but uh this is this is kind of the middle of nowhere and um, this is really true freedom when it comes to trapping. Then we went about 500 feet past, maybe 500 past that set, and there was that all them wolf trails. Yes. Yeah. 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 Did you, what do you think about, like, I know I walked up to one of your snares just to make sure I was doing it. The similar. wolf snare? Yeah. Yeah. Your last, your second one. And uh, I noticed you had the two sticks. I don't, there. Yeah. Um, they probably, I was thinking, uh, making that, my wolf snare is like subtle compared to maybe some of the link stuff. Yeah. You don't want to put a lot of block it off. Yeah. They seem to be a little more, uh, a little yeah. more suspicious, yeah. a lot more suspicious, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. You don't want to, you, it, uh, you don't want to put a lot of, unless you're in a brushy area, then just kind of a natural, but, uh, you don't want to block maybe a couple little willows sometimes i even just point it angle it away put it further away and point it towards the snare like, okay yeah. does that make sense yeah yeah <laughs> instead of putting it near the snare right yeah sometimes yeah. you just put it over the trail i also tried to make it i was kind of like thinking okay i'm a wolf walking down the trail and uh i tried to put it because I'd heard about, I'd read about this somewhere a long time ago, but I tried to put it where there's like a little kink in the trail, where they're like a little bend. Yeah. So, so when they get toward the snare, they're looking ahead to see where they're gonna go. Yeah. As opposed to looking right in front of them where they could see the snare. Yeah. One thing I don't, I don't want to do is uh, set it where they see it before they go into the brush. Yeah. The snare. Yeah. I try to avoid that. Where they could possibly see it. Yeah. Put it back in a little ways. There was, we each were on, you were on one trail or two where you set your snares. I just went on one. one. And I there was, was on two one. big main trails going back in there. And those two come, where we had two snares on those trails and they come together. And now I'm kicking myself because I'm thinking I probably should have set one on that. <laughs> next time, next time. Yeah. Yeah, we'll go and check those. We got more wolf snares. I didn't know they came together. I guess I didn't go back that far. Yeah, they like where you're. You're. You can still see your last snare and my last snare. Because I thought it went kind of out in the open too much, so I just didn't go. Right down before there. it goes in the open, it kind of drops down this little dip. 
Yeah. They walked down. Oops, we could put a trap there. They walked down through some brush, and then, then that's where it opened up. We could put a trap in there. Do you have any wolf traps? Oh, yeah. 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 I don't hang them around the cabin. <laughs> 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 but I have, I have several. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you get to watch. Those are a little more expensive than most of. Well, and you don't want them to pick up scent either. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you don't, they, yeah they're worth money. Yeah, I did change into my clean. I had a set of gloves I haven't worn yet, and I changed into those before I touched those snares. Just yeah, in case. you want to avoid the smell, any smell. But that was pretty crazy today on that slough, though. Like those those tracks are massive. The wolves. Yeah. I, yeah. Sometimes I almost thought I was looking at moose tracks, and and uh, they. It's just I don't know. It's pretty cool scene because you go from an area where you might see. You get a rabbit, a few rabbit tracks, and you get a lynx track, and and then there's not too much, and then all of a sudden we got to where those wolves were. It was like boom, 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 boom. Yeah, they were splitting up on that slough. They weren't going single file a lot. Mm. Must be looking for a moose. They're always looking for a moose. Um, wolves. Do you see years where you have more wolves or less wolves or pretty steady? I don't really. I don't. It seems like it's usually about the same, but I could be wrong. Wolverine, they go up and down. Yeah. I think there's a lot now because there's less guys trapping with the price of furlough. Yeah. They're easy to knock their population down because they don't have big litters. and. Yeah. Yeah, when there was a lot of guys trapping, you might get, you might go all year without catching one, which is fine. <laughs> Cause, <laughs> yeah, because they don't need a bunch of your Yeah, other but uh, usually I'd catch two, you know, some best I ever did was six. But that was when hardly any guys were trapping. We got six, two years in a row, and then, uh, then we'd start getting two. Yeah, we might break that this year, though. Here we could, four. yeah, yeah, we could. <laughs> I was hoping to get 10, but we'll see. You, I thought we'd see more tracks around this trip. Yeah. But we could well, still, they could still show up. Yeah, and might, do you think it's just because we've got a lot of snow? And it, I think so, yeah. Yeah, remember I told you one was walking around the cabin there in December. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm I'm hoping, you know, maybe I might have got there. him, though. Might yeah. might have got that guy. Yeah. Maybe that by that little pond back there, where those those two trap where you set those two traps together, and then yeah, the the step here, the one with the, the trap that says step here on the page. Yeah, that that really works. <laughs> <laughs> kind of guide him in. How many traps do you got that written on? Well, it? probably that's the only one. It's <laughs> <laughs> a conversation piece. <laughs> it's uh, for the educated link that can read. They're kind of, they got a lot of pride and they want to show you they know how to read and they step right on it. Boom. <laughs> got them. So, why don't you, you want to talk about that, the Martin population and how that, that kind of that wave of Martin that came down into this area years ago and, and was here, that, that, that whole, we talked about it when we did the interview Month, months ago about the overlap uh, how Lynx and Martin don't overlap they don't seem to not very much and, and it was really I thought it was an interesting pattern historically when you're talking about back in back in the day 
days when uh, when you guys were were catching a lot of martin here. Yeah, when we first started trapping, we didn't even know how to trap, and we caught 35 link. And then the link were dropping off. I think we caught two martin, or one. And then uh, this is not known to be martin habitat. And that was kind of historical. There's but, mink, link. It, but when you look at it, like for me, looking at the... Looks like martin. It looks like it should be martin habitat. Yeah. So the link dropped off and the martin came back up. But but oh, we caught like... My brother caught... It went from 13, 65. This is the martin numbers. Went from 13 to 65. And then we catch over 100. One year we caught on this line we caught 165 or 70, Jeez. And, it, and from nothing, from basically nothing. Yeah, actually maybe we caught 110 on this line or so because we caught 50 on our other trap line. Yeah, don't say the name of that. Yeah, <laughs> and that was in Martin Country, but we only trapped there six weeks to get those 50. But uh, uh, so then, uh, let's see. In the 80s, I'd get like 50 to 70. And then they, the last year I saw them, and I was having to go further north, closer to Martin Habitat, I got 35. And I didn't catch any down around, down around here. But guys in Martin, well, we had a line in Martin Habitat. There was Martin everywhere when you got up in the hills and that. Yeah. More than here, but now... Uh, well, we saw one Martin track. One track. Yeah, I got two traps set for Martin. And you probably haven't caught Mar any Martin in the last several years. Yeah, a few years ago I got ten, huh. when there wasn't many link around too. You know. Yeah, that's that's pretty amazing. How it just like how that can happen on such a large scale was, uh, was pretty fascinating to me. And then you talked about you know the old timers and and how uh, like. Well, I talked to. I guess I thought. Well, did that happen? Did that also happen back when James Carroll was like a hundred years ago? It could yeah, have. I, I don't know. Like nineteen ten to or nineteen twenty. Yeah, I don't know either. I don't know. It could have happened before. I wasn't around though. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember people talking about it, but it did seem like people always. There's certain areas there was always some Martin. And the link go up and down on pretty regular cycle. Is Seems it like it. Seven to ten. But they years? never the cycle in the seventies went worth a lot of money. They didn't. It didn't get very high. <laughs> yeah, so many guys trapped. got cropped off. Yeah. Yeah. I remember one year I got twelve and I thought I was doing pretty good, but I caught uh, Martin and Mink and Fox too. So, but the, but the link were worth. I don't know what they weren't worth five hundred. They're worth like maybe two hundred, which was still good. The especially back then. Yeah. You can Better buy, than now. You can buy a lot of gas for two hundred dollars. Yeah. 